his presence. I couldn't run, couldn't run from his arms. Jesus, he loves me, he loves me, he is for me. Jesus, how can it be? He loves me, he is for me. It was a fire deep in my soul.
Good morning to you all, and Merry Christmas. How are we? Uh, it's nice in here. It's a little dreary outside, but that's all right. That's all right. We're so glad that you're here with us today, worshiping. If you're a guest with us today, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so good to have you with us. As we're starting today, I have just a few quick announcements I want to throw your way. Before we jump in and worship together first, if you are a guest with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, you'd be so kind. We'd appreciate it if you would, if you are a guest, just simply grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. Just text CONNECT there, and uh, you'll get a link sent to you. Click on that. Answer just a couple of quick questions, just so we know who you are, that you are here, and how we can minister to you. We would love that, so just text the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298. But as we're in this final ramp up to Christmas Day, I have a couple of announcements for you. Uh, first, uh, this coming Wednesday and the following Wednesday, the last two in 2020, there'll be no Wednesday evening activities, all right? So no journey groups, kids ministry, youth ministry. Nothing like that, so nothing this coming Wednesday or next Wednesday. Also, next Sunday, uh, next Sunday the 27th, we'll only have one service at the 11 o'clock, all right? So there'll be no 9.30 service, just one at the 11, no kids ministry, journey groups, youth ministry, nothing. We're just going to be everybody in one room in here, 11 o'clock, next Sunday, 11 o'clock, 9.30, come get a good seat. will be 11 o'clock, all right? Uh, and, and as we jump in next week, if you're in town, I know a lot of people are traveling, but if you are in town, I encourage you to be here next week. We're going to jump into a new series in John chapter 15 called Bear Fruit. And the idea is going to be, how is it God empowers us to bear supernatural, lasting fruits that we can see bear out in our life day in and day out throughout 2021 and beyond. Everyone's looking for New Year's resolutions. We're going to talk about how do you bear lasting fruit for the glory of God. So it'll be that next Sunday, 11 o'clock right here. Be here. We would love to have you be a part of it. And then on Christmas Eve, 
this week, Christmas Eve, we'll have a Christmas Eve candlelight communion service, 5 o'clock right here in the sanctuary. It's going to be a wonderful way for us just to set our hearts before the Lord together. So 5 o'clock, come on in. We'll have you out quick, I promise. You can head to family events and dinner, but 5 o'clock right here, uh, Christmas Eve, worshiping Jesus together. Um, one more announcement not related to Christmas. On January 9th, Saturday, January 9th, we're going to have a church cleanup day. All right, chance for just to kind of clean up, spruce up around here. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of cleanup inside. So if you are a journey group leader or a ministry leader, you need to either be here that day or communicate with us before that day. Because if you do not communicate with us or show up, I am responsible for cleaning out your stuff. And I love throwing junk away, all right? So, we're going to do some cleaning up. We need you here or communicating with us about what you're wanting to do with your space so we can get some things spruced up and cleaned up. That's January 9th, January 9th. Um, it's going to be a fun. I encourage you to come out. We're going to cook hot dogs and hang out and have a good time, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. But uh, January 9th, if you come and be a part of that, uh, I think that's going to be a really wonderful time together. You know, during this month of December, we're taking up our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is an offering that we take up for international missions so that we can see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And we've been asking you to be in prayer this month about how you can give uh, sacrificially to see the gospel go out. Uh, I, I'll just be honest and let you know that Marie and I, as we've sought the Lord, God has led us to give more this year for the Lottie Moon than we ever have personally. Um, God's just really stirred our hearts for that. And so I would encourage you as well, uh, throughout the month of December, again, this Sunday and next Sunday, give. Be in prayer about how you can give to see the gospel go out. Uh, I want to read a scripture to you in line with that. It's in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. And verse 35 says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In verse 37, Jesus literally says that we need more missionaries. He says the harvest is plentiful. The amount of people in need of Christ are great, but the amount of people going to tell them is actually pretty small. So in verse 37, he says, we need missionaries. So what's his answer to that? Verse 38 tells you, pray. Pray fervently that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his harvest field. Pray that God would raise up and send out missionaries. And I think we can add to that that we would be willing to sacrificially give to fund those missionaries, and we would even be willing ourselves to personally go. This offering that we're asking you to consider this month literally seeks to fulfill Jesus' command here. To do something about the fact that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is a way for you to obey Christ and be a part of his mission. But also, in this as well, the scripture says something about us personally right here today. Verse 36 says, he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus sees hurting people and he has compassion on them. And that has not changed. That's still true today. 
Jesus sees hurting people, and he has compassion. He sees you as harassed and helpless. Literally, the word harassed means mangled up. Helpless means without any strength. The idea that life just kind of has banged you up, and you're not sure what to do with it. Jesus has compassion for you and desires to bring healing, wholeness, salvation to your life. So I want to encourage you to bow your heads just for a moment. I want to pray for us. Jesus, I just thank you that you see hurting people. We can put on a facade and we act like we're all right and we say we're great and people ask how we're doing and we say fine. But Lord, in our hearts, we can often feel harassed and helpless. We can feel mangled up and beat up and without strength that we're not sure what to do. And I thank you, Jesus, that you look past the facade. You look past the the platitudes. Thank you, Jesus, you see us. And so, Lord, I pray for people in this room right now that might in their hearts feel harassed and helpless. I pray, Jesus, that you would encourage them today that you see them, you have compassion on them, and you desire to be the shepherd of their souls that they're in need of. Today, Jesus, let us see you as our great shepherd. Looking to guide us, care for us, protect us. I pray today, Jesus, that you would show yourself gloriously as this. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us and caring for us. Thank you for seeing us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Stand with us and let's sing. We've been given a glorious hope in Christ. God's love has been poured out on us through His Son. We have a reason to celebrate reason to sing, a reason to hope. His name is Jesus. Let's sing together in Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving ceases. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I'll stand. Oh,
and holy, mighty and righteous, the King of the kings and the Lord of lords has been born. to 
grace to bring him Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. Yes, Lord. When you have been told from the time that you're born that Jesus is not God, Bible's corrupted and to follow Jesus is to commit blasphemy and you're going to be turned away from your family. That's a whole other task. And so we're going to the tip of the spear because we're getting to people that have only heard lies of Jesus. They've heard his name, but they've been told lies about him and to reject and to not listen. What we do, it's very hard. It takes a lot of time and a lot of sacrifice on a lot of areas. But when you see someone get it, when you see them come from darkness to light, and they literally know that their life is forever changed, and no matter what persecution or whatever happens, that they're with Christ, that they're His for eternity, that's worth it. God sees the bigger picture. Or maybe someone in our work sees one or two Muslims come to Christ after three or four years. But God takes those two or three snowballs. We've seen Muslims hear the gospel and, and be baptized and follow and be strong lights. Christ says to pray for the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Then Jesus tells them, now go. I think don't people, they kind of stop it. We're going to pray for the workers but then Jesus says, yeah, you're going to pray for workers, but go. Revelation is guaranteeing us as well as saying, hey, all people will have representatives before the throne. We want to see Southern Baptists love Jesus, love his word, and give sacrificially to Lottie Moon Christmas offering so that the gospel can go to the ends of the earth and even specifically to the large Muslim groups like I work with. So, all month as we have been focusing in on this Lottie Moon Christmas offering, we have taken time here during our worship service to pray. We pray two things. We've done it all month long. We pray, one, for the people that we just saw. Specifically, we're going to pray today for Muslim unreached peoples in Southeast Asia. Uh, we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for the missionaries that are there. As you can see, uh, the face of that missionary is blacked out. That is on purpose because he is in a country where it is extremely dangerous for Christians. And uh, it is not in he or his family's best interest to disclose his identity. So we want to pray for him, obviously, and his family for their safety. And then also we pray for us, right? We pray for us that God will stir in our hearts to be generous and give. And that God will stir in our hearts to pray fervently, as he was saying, as we've already said today. The Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest field. And then that God will stir up in our hearts to actually go ourselves. That God would raise people up out of this room right here, right now, today. 
Not some hypothetical thing, not some one day somebody else from our church. I'm praying today that someone from inside this room right here, right now, God may perhaps raise you up to go be about the mission of seeing the gospel go to the ends of the earth, whether it be on a short-term basis or even to give a chunk of your life there. So let's, let's start first by praying for the Muslim people of Southeast Asia. Praying for them that God would, would bring salvation. So let's just bow our heads for a moment. And I want to read again the scripture that I read to begin the service and that the missionary in the video alluded to. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So God, I pray first for the people of Southeast Asia, specifically the Muslim peoples of Southeast Asia. I ask you, God, that you would open up hearts to receive the gospel and believe. I pray, God, that you would powerfully bring down the lies that they have been taught. I pray, God, that you would allow the light of the gospel to just shine so bright, every other shadow just disappears. All the lies, all the darkness, when light shows up, darkness flees. I pray, God, that light from the gospel shines bright on their hearts. And that they would receive and they would believe. I pray, God, that you would give them boldness. Because many of them will believe in an area, in families, in towns where their lives could quite literally be in danger as a result. I pray, God, that you would give them boldness. I pray, God, that they would have the boldness that we see in the book of Acts. Peter and James and John looking at their persecutors and saying, You do what you feel like you have to do, but we cannot stop speaking of this Jesus. Pray, God, you'll give them that kind of boldness. I pray, God, that you would, God, have an avalanche of salvation and disciples come flowing out of those countries. And I pray, God, that you would, by your grace, touch our hearts. God, as we hear these stories, as we see these videos, as we spend time praying, God, I pray that hearts in this room are being touched in ways that they perhaps never have before. I pray, God, that you would stir up in us, God, a a diligent, fervent prayer life for the unreached peoples. God, we would make it a regular part of our prayers, a regular part of just life in you, that we're constantly just praying and thinking and, 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 and seeking you, Lord, as to how to see perhaps more of these people come to faith in you. I pray, God, that you would empower us, God, to be generous in our giving, that those that you raise up and send out, we would, be, we would be willing to fund them to see them go. And I pray, God, that you would be so kind as to raise up people in this very room to courageously go. God, whether it be a short-term trip, a week or two, or whether it be something longer, I pray, God, that you would raise us up in this room and we say we want to be personally a part of seeing that happen. We want to go to see people know you. 
God, I pray that you will do this. And you are all over this place. I thank you, God, for that. I thank you for the great stories and testimonies I'm already hearing from people who are being stirred. And I pray, God, that you'll give us even more. May that tribe increase for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, if you've got a Bible, let's find Matthew chapter 2. All right, Matthew chapter 2. As you're finding that, one more quick thing uh, in terms of announcements. So after a uh, long and thorough process, our discipleship pastor search team has recommended Pastor Steve Aldi to transition over from our family and children's pastor to our adult discipleship pastor. Uh, and uh, the vote on that to make that official will be on January 10th, Sunday, January 10th, directly after the 11 o'clock service. Uh, so if you come to the 930, we encourage you to go to a journey group. Uh, and then after that, we'll be at 11, after the 11 o'clock service, around 1215, depending on how the guy talking um, keeps his time. We'll be in the Family Life Center, the FLC, for that uh, family meeting and vote. So uh, I encourage you to be a part of that January 10th after the 11 o'clock service. All right. So Matthew chapter 2. One of my favorite parts of the Christmas story is the wise men. I enjoy it because there, quite honestly, is a lot of debate and question around it. So you got a group of guys that no one really knows who they are, showing up, seemingly popping up out of nowhere, coming in from a far distance away because God has just begun to stir in their hearts something for Christ. So they don't even know what they're going towards. They don't even know what they're doing. They just know we got to leave where we are. we got to go chase after the star because God is saying something to us. And so we're going to look at that story and unpack it a little bit that today. But I think the way that we really see the significance of these wise men is by also comparing and contrasting them with some other people that we're going to meet in the story. We're going to meet a guy named Herod, known as Herod the Great. We're going to find out a little bit about him. We're also going to be introduced to a group of people called um, the chief priests and scribes of the people. We're going to unpack them a little bit, see who they are. And we're going to see how Herod responds to Christ, how these religious leaders respond to Christ, and how these wise men respond to Christ. And it's very different, very diverse. But as we see that, we're going to see how glorious and amazing Jesus is and what I believe God is calling us to do. In responding to Christ here today ourselves. So let's jump in together, all right? So we're going to kind of walk through the text, step by step, verse by verse, kind of unpack it a little bit. And then we're going to go back through again and highlight several groups that we see in there, all right? So let's pick it up. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold... Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So we're introduced here to these wise men. And like I said, the truth is this. No one really knows who these guys are. Theories abound, right? Some believe that they were uh, Jewish believers 
who are descendants from the exile in Babylon. Some believe that they are pagan Gentiles who are into astronomy and astrology, but because they're learned men, they also seek to learn the Hebrew Scriptures. And in the process of that, they saw this, and it lines up with that, and I'm seeing something, and that seems interesting. Maybe we should chase after that thing. We honestly have no clue who these guys are. What we do know is this. These appear to be very learned and educated men. Men who are into astrology, men who are into astronomy, men who are into the natural sciences. But also men who in some way are seeking after God. They're seeking after him, they want him, they desire him to the point where they pursue this. And and so we're typically used to the story of how many wise men? Three. Were there three wise men? I don't know. Probably not. We get three wise men because of the gifts that are given. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so with that, we have three wise men. In the Catholic tradition, they actually named them. Uh, No one knows what their names were. And more than likely, there were not three. More than likely, there was actually a massive caravan. Right? There were a huge group of people. Many, many, many wise men, and these were very wealthy, accomplished men, so they had servants along with them. So you're talking about maybe on the small end, dozens, but could be hundreds of people traipsing through the desert following a star. And they show up, and, and probably the star that's being referenced here, uh, they, they got this little nugget from Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. It references a star in Judah that is going to lead to a king, right? And so these wise men discover the star. As they're looking out, they see the star. They start following the star, and they make their way into Jerusalem. And they meet a guy named Herod, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So now we see Herod. So Herod was deeply concerned about the idea of a new king showing up. Herod was notoriously paranoid. Uh, He, in fact, had several of his own family members murdered out of fear that they might stab him in the back and try to overthrow him. So he's constantly on the lookout for political opposition. So imagine this. you got a guy who's already paranoid to the point where he's popping family members. And he's hanging out in his palace and a giant caravan of wealthy foreigners show up and say, hey, we hear the new king has been born Can we meet him? Herod was, as verse 3 says, deeply troubled. He did not like this one bit. And it says also not only was he troubled, but all Jerusalem with him. So all of Jerusalem was troubled, probably because they knew knew Herod was a paranoid lunatic. And they knew, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to go bad for us. Right? Dad had a bad day at work and he shows up angry. What do you do? Find somewhere else to go. And this 
is the people of Jerusalem with Herod. Herod is already paranoid. He's already quick-tempered. He's already got a bad attitude. And now this massive caravan of wise men show up asking where the king that's going to dethrone him is. So he's not a happy camper. So what does he do? He calls together the chief priests and the scribes and inquires from them where Christ is to be born. Verse 5, so here's what these chief priests and scribes do. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They quote from Micah chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 2, and say, All right, here's where we know this king is going to show up. So they dutifully answer Herod's question. Here's an interesting thought I've always had, though. So... These chief, priests, these chief priests and scribes, these, these deeply religious people, these people who are leaders of the Jewish faith, they clearly know where this Christ is supposed to be. They clearly see the fact that foreigners are coming because evidently this Christ has shown up. Yet, what we're going to find is this. They don't themselves actually go find him. That's strange to me. Right? These are people who know the scriptures. These are people who supposedly are looking for the Messiah to come. They get word that the Messiah has come. They know where he's going to be. And they just stay put. They don't go anywhere. That's weird to me. But we'll look at that more later. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. And ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So Herod is lying. We know that because of the rest of the story. If you were to keep reading in Matthew chapter 2. Herod tells these men, go find where this new king is. Come tell me so I can come worship him too. Does Herod want to worship this baby? No, Herod wants to kill this baby. And we see that. As you keep on going in verse 16, eventually the, the wise men are going to find Jesus and go home a different way because God warns them not to go back to Herod. And when Herod fi- finds that he's been double-crossed, he then goes and kills all the babies. Uh, what you see as you read you're really just through the scriptures it's an interesting thing um, when the people of God are in bondage in Egypt and God is de- uh, going to deliver them how does Pharaoh seek to stop that he kills all the babies when Jesus is coming to deliver his people from their sin and Herod wants to stop that what does he do he kills all the babies And I don't think it's hard to do the math on this. We, as a country, kill about a million a year. It is a ploy of Satan himself to just kill children. That is his goal, to just kill them. And as we are creeping ever so closer to the return of Christ, I don't think it is strange at all that we live in a society, not only in the United States, but worldwide, where murder is big business. 
and we just killed them. In quick note of announcement, the month of January is actually a month set aside by Christians for um, uh, the support of life. And, uh, and we'll be focusing in on that as well in our time of prayer uh, and service throughout the month of January. It coincides with the Roe v. Wade decision. And so we set aside one Sunday in January as Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so we'll be, we'll be doing that as well and spending some time throughout the month of January praying. But it is a, a, a ploy of Satan all throughout scriptures. And we see it happening in our world here today. To bring death and destruction when God desires to bring life. And that's exactly what Herod seeks to do. He wants to kill him and not worship him. But let's see what our wise men did. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So, so you had this star. And again, there's much debate as to what the star is, right? Some believe that it's a, an alignment of certain planets. Some believe it's this meteor. No one knows. What it was was this, supernatural. It was something not normal that guided these men all the way to Christ. Which again, if you look through the scriptures, I mean, how did God lead the people of Israel in the wilderness, right? It was a cloud by day and fire by night. God does pretty supernatural, miraculous things to guide and lead people. And that's exactly what he did here. So he sent this star, they followed the star, and the star literally leads them in, in the way the, the, the language lays out, literally just rest on top of Jesus. So it leads them straight there. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And then verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So in verse 11, it's interesting, it's just a quick side note. It says that when they go into the house, not the stable. So um, we have nativity scenes in our house. You probably do too. So what is it? It's Jesus in a manger and Mary and Joseph behind them. And you got a little cow and a camel. And you got some shepherds. And you got wise men over here. Um, it's cute. And we got them also. And that's great. But it's not at all how the story went. All right? It's, it says here that they were, went to the house. So if you kind of do the math, when you look at who Herod, the babies that Herod sought to kill, he sought to kill every baby two and under. So we're probably looking at six to 18 months, 24 months on the outside, away from the stable, right? There's not baby in a manger. This is, they're, they're back home in a house. And so the wise men are led by the star to the house months after Jesus is born. And they come to Jesus and they lay these gifts before him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold representing kingship. Frankincense representing divinity. Those incense was used in the temple to worship. And myrrh was a spice used in burial, representing his death. And more than likely, these wise men had no idea what they were giving, right? They didn't know we're giving this because he's the... 
God, man, king of kings who's going to die as our sacrifice. Right? They didn't know all of that. This is just God sovereignly working through these men. And then again, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed back another way. So as you look at this story, again, you see kind of three groups of people. you got these wise men. You have the religious leaders, the chief priests and scribes of the people. And you have Herod. And I want to take just a second and kind of break down each one and see how they responded to Jesus and what that might mean for us. All right. So first is this Herod. So what was Herod? Herod was hostile toward Jesus. And many people today are hostile as well. Right, he was just flat out hostile. Herod did not want Jesus to be the greatest treasure in the world. Herod wanted to be the greatest treasure in the world. Herod did not want Jesus to be king of all. Herod wanted to be king of all. Herod did not want Jesus to be the God who is to be worshipped. Herod wanted to be the God of his own life, the God in his own heart. Herod wanted control of himself. Again, as you kind of go back through that story in verse 3, where it says you know, that, that Herod meets these wise men, it says that Herod was troubled. The word troubled means to literally have your peace robbed from you. As long as everything was going according to Herod's plan, he was at peace. But the second God pushed in on that and said, no, 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 you're not the greatest thing in the world. I am, and you need to move, his peace was immediately robbed. He was troubled in his spirit. The idea that life would not go the way that Herod had planned for it to go made him angry. The idea that God had a different plan and wanted to show himself off as glorious rather than Herod being glorious infuriated him. And the same for us. Do you become troubled when God tells you no? Do you seek to do whatever you can to regain control? Just like Herod, he was willing to do anything he could to gain control and be ultimate again, even down to killing children. When Herod was approached with the idea of Jesus and his glory and his majesty and his worth and his kingship, he responded with hostility and anger and stiff arm. And I don't want that. And I don't want anyone else to want that. I want to be in charge. I want to be my own God. So oftentimes it's us as well. The next group of people that we see are the chief priests. The chief priests and the scribes. They were indifferent toward Jesus. They were completely indifferent towards him. And sadly, again, many today are as well. So these chief priests were probably mostly Sadducees. Sadducees were um, religiously liberal men. They did not believe in the supernatural. They did not believe in the scriptures. But they were ingrained in church life there in the Jewish world. They were more concerned with financial gain and political gain rather than spiritual growth. And the other group that it mentions here are the scribes, which are more than likely the Pharisees. These were people who were experts in the scriptures, deeply moral and religious, yet they were also profoundly legalistic. These were people who believed they walked in absolute righteousness and they needed no one or nothing to help them with that and they were very quick 
very quick to point out anyone else's faults. They knew the scriptures well, but they refused to see how the scriptures pointed to Jesus, and they actually were leaders in seeing Jesus arrested and crucified. For these people, they appeared on the outside to have everything that you would want. However, when it all came down to it, when it all came down to it, they didn't feel like they needed Jesus. And I think the same thing happens for many of us today. We, so just think about life. Things are going good. Family's good. Work is good. Kids are good. Marriage, maybe a marriage. Hey, listen, nobody's perfect. I give us a 7 out of 10, but we're doing great. Things are good. I'm, I'm great with God. I'm good with Him. But when Jesus starts to push in and say, but yeah, you're doing it. I, I want all of you. I want all of you. We begin to push back on him and, and, and we become indifferent. We want life to be good. We want a, a good life and good family and good kids and a good job and go to a good church and everything's going to be okay. We're actually indifferent to Christ. We were driving here this morning and Marie and I were talking with our kids uh, about uh, Lottie Moon offering and, and why we're doing it and what we're doing and whatever. And uh, one of my kids said to me, Dad, I need to talk to you. All right? He said, i got to be honest. He said, when you stand up there and you say, uh, hey, I'm praying that God would empower you to be generous, it just feels like you're asking, you just want people's money. I said, it's very astute. I do. Not because I need your money, not because Jesus needs your money. God is not asking for your money because he needs your money. God is asking for your money because he wants you. He wants you. He wants all of you. He wants your everything. And so he pushes in on things and says, yeah, 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 but am I going to have everything? No, God, we're good. Yeah, 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 but am I going to have your everything? Jesus desires you to not just live a good life and be indifferent to him. Jesus desires that you literally give yourself to him, and he is your all now. These religious leaders, they lived a good life, they knew the Bible, they went to church, they did good things, everyone admired them, they had nice positions, everything was great, but at the end of the day, they were totally indifferent to Jesus. They missed him the whole time, but they looked good doing it. And I think I fear that many do the same today. But then you have the wise men. These wise men. They were worshipers of Jesus. And many today are worshiping him as well. Whoever these men were, clearly they were seeking after the Lord. They were seeking after Jesus. They wanted Jesus. They wanted, they wanted God in all that he would give them. And so they were willing at great expense to pack up everything they have and travel following a dot in the sky. Like, well, you know, back then people did weird things. Not that weird. Not that crazy. 
These men were desiring God, and they were willing to do anything and everything to have him, and all that he would desire to give. They knew there was a king, and this king is God, and I want him. And so they pursue him, and they desire him, and they go after him. Brothers and sisters, when those who look for Jesus will see him, And those who see him for who he truly is will worship him. And those who worship him are going to be changed by him. This is what the wise men show us. They desired him, and so they went after him. And as they went after him, God God allowed them to find him. And as they found him, they worshipped him. And as they worshipped him, they were radically changed by him. And the same for us as well. God desires you to see Jesus for who he is. And as you see him for who he truly is, you're going to worship him for who he truly is. And as you worship him for who he truly is, you are going to be powerfully, radically changed by him. As you look at these gifts that these wise men gave, right? The gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. They gave him gold because he is king. They gave him frankincense because he is God. And they gave him myrrh because he is the one who died to be the sacrifice for you and your sin. Do you see Jesus for who he truly is? You know, I, I've heard an illustration in sermons before trying to explain Jesus in a sacrifice and who he is. And it goes a little something like this. Um, imagine there is a man that has a son. This man is a bridge keeper. His job is to tend the bridge, and as a train comes through, he is to lower the bridge so the train can come through, and then raise the bridge so a ship can come through, and so he's the, he's the bridge tender. And so this man brings his son to work with him one day. And as they're there on the bridge, the man is busy about his job, and Kind of loses track of the sun. The bridge is up and he's checking to make sure things are okay. And as he's there, he hears a train coming. So he immediately goes to lower the bridge as he always does so that the train can go by. And and as he's about to lower the bridge, he looks out and he sees his son who had escaped out and was actually down playing on the bottom of the bridge around the gears. And he yelled for his son to get off, but the son couldn't hear him. And he screamed even louder, but he couldn't hear him. And he wanted to run out to get him, but if he ran out to get him, he wouldn't be able to lower the bridge in time. And so the dad had a horrible, horrible choice to make. Do I save my son and have all these people die? Or do I kill my son so that these people might live? And this man, with tears in his eyes, sadly grabbed the lever and lowered that bridge crushing his son. And as the bridge lowered, and the train went by filled with people, smiling and talking and completely oblivious to the sacrifice that was just made for him. Now there are some good things to that story, some truths to that story. Indeed, Jesus was sacrificed for you. And indeed, many people go flying down through life completely oblivious for the sacrifice that was made. But here's one thing that that illustration misses. And I I need you to hear this. This is where everything comes together, okay? 
Jesus dying on the cross was not a cosmic tragedy. Jesus was not the result of an, oh my goodness, what shall I ever do? It is not that God the Father looked down at the sin of humanity and said, I did not see that coming. What is going on here? How are we ever going to solve this? Jesus, get down there, let's do something. Let's figure this thing out. It wasn't at the last minute. He's pulling the lever just to save you in the nick of time. We see here from the birth of Jesus, and we see from the scriptures, Ephesians 1 telling us before the foundations of the world were even laid, it was always God's plan, always God's plan to save you through the death of his son. This was the plan of God. Jesus came to earth, not just a baby. He came to earth as God. He is God himself, king and sovereign ruler of the universe. But he came for one purpose, and that was to die for you, to be your sacrifice. And what I want us to see today is what the wise men saw. I want us to see Jesus for who he is. Our glorious, amazing, beautiful sacrifice. Our God and Savior. Our King of the universe who could have just sat on a throne and watched us all perish. But chose instead to take on humanity. Come as a baby. Helpless. And rise up in his humanity. Save you. Jesus Christ came so that you can be made new. So that you can be fresh. So that you can be cleansed. So that you can be forgiven. I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment as our band comes up. So Herod, when he was confronted with the idea that Jesus wanted to be king and he couldn't be king, he was angry, fought back, said, that's not fair. I deserve to be in control of my life. Who is this baby to come tell me what to do? The religious leaders, when they were confronted with the birth of Jesus depended on their standing and their morality and their place in society and the fact that they felt their life was going pretty good as it was. So they were just indifferent to Jesus and they didn't want to be bothered with anything needing to change. But these wise men, they saw Jesus for who he was. God of the universe, the sovereign ruler of every molecule in existence. And even though he is God and powerful and mighty and glorious, he willingly laid all of that aside so that he could be your special sacrifice. 
Have you submitted your life to him? Trusted him to take away your sin? To make you new? Today I want to encourage you. Jesus Christ desires to make you new. Today, believe by faith that Jesus Christ is God. And he came and he died and he rose again. To take away your sin. Ask him to take away your sin and to make you new. And he will today. For you as followers of Jesus Christ. Let's be wise men who seek him, pursue him, desire him, long for him, worship him, and then be forever constantly changed by him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let us seek you. Let us seek you and be changed. In your name, Jesus. Amen.
us today that we will know. Lord, that we will know today who you really are, Jesus. You are our perfect, glorious God and Savior. You rule over all creation, us as well. And you are our Savior, dying so that we can be made new. Jesus, I pray this Christmas season that we will see you like we've never seen you, worship you deeper than we've ever worshiped, and be changed by your word. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Christmas.